This episode was made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 161 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss Tom Clancy's 1984 novel, The Hunt for Red October. Here we are, Tom Clancy, one of the biggest names in all of fiction, I think it's safe to say, massive bestseller, and someone that I have never read before. Yeah, I was going to say me either. Uh, Someone that every time you walk into like a Barnes and Noble or a bookstore in, in general, like his his books were always on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like he's put put out a book every year since he started writing in my, I, you know, I don't know how many he has, but I've just, I just know that there's like an insane number. Quite productive and continuing to publish after his death <laughs> um, because his his name is now sort of a brand that other authors uh, sort of ghostwrite for, although not truly ghostwriting in that their names are often on the books as well. It's just like smaller underneath the larger name Tom Clancy. Um, but he, he, while he was alive, he published many, many books. Um, I mean, not and, to mention video games too, right? Video games. Uh, well, he licensed his name out to them. You know, I don't think he's not he's not in the development of Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six or anything. You know, <laughs> right? But it became synonymous with like spy thriller kind of. Absolutely. Stuff. I mean, it's a brand. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot to get into with Tom Clancy, but I do want to shout out um, Stephen E, a patron who commissioned this, uh, spent his tokens over time to to pull this one off, and um, we're it's cool because it's something that we probably wouldn't have chosen on our own. Uh, I think it's safe to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's fun. And I feel like I'm learning a lot from reading it, which is always good. Shout out to him. Hopefully he enjoys the coverage. Yeah. You know, experience with Jack Ryan is something I wanted to ask you, like, what, how, how mm-hmm. familiar are you? Because I'm assuming you've probably seen the Harrison Ford movies. But have you seen I, I know that I'd seen this at one point, but I, I couldn't remember anything from it. So it was cool to actually like dig into it as the and as I as I read through the story, I remember the events of the movie as well. I know a little bit about Jack Ryan, I guess. Like, I haven't been watching the TV, the new TV series with John Krasinski. Um, mm-hmm. I think I've seen I've seen some of the movies over the years. Like, I'll, I have a list of the ones that have been adapted, and I think out of out of there's like four of them, and I've seen like three. <laughs> um, I've seen this movie, but it's been a long, long time. And so, like you said, I had forgotten a lot of the plot of it, and other than just like remembering submarines and Sean Connery and and Alec Baldwin, like there's very little else I remembered about it. Right. Uh, I've seen I've, I've watched the first season of the show. I haven't seen the second one yet on Amazon, but I, I was really happy to see John Krasinski in a role like that. That was a big, you know, big deal for him to get like sort of this James Bond esque role, which brings me to this idea of it, it kind of just is a, an American James Bond sort of character, right? I have that written down in my notes. American James Bond, exactly. Um, yeah. I, I think there are several characters that you could probably look at in literature and and say are striving for that position. Um, but I think Jack Ryan is definitely one of the leading contenders. He is all American to the core. He is sort of an embodiment of this like Reagan era conservative values. Um, you know, he is uh, he's an everyman who is also mm-hmm. very intelligent. He's a history professor who likes football. 
He's an ex-Marine who made millions of dollars in the stock market and then decided to stop yeah. doing it because he got bored. Um, he's self-made and, and, yeah. and, you know, he's just, he's he's everything. You know, he spanks his children for mistakes, you know, all sorts of yeah. just very 80s, um, strong American values um, was coming through very strongly. Uh, as I, was I don't know how much how the character changes over time. I've heard some people say that actually sort of the overt political messaging um, gets stronger and stronger as like Tom Clancy's career progressed, and by like book seven or something, it, it's mm-hmm. like really, really over, hitting you over the head with it. Um, I, I'd be curious to see what you think of this. Yeah, full disclosure: two liberals reading this book, um, looking back over forty years. Um, there's a lot of stuff that is going to st- hit us differently than it maybe did for you when you read it. If you read it like in the eighties or the nineties, um, lots of things have changed and I know I have changed a ton. If I read this when I was younger, I would have got a very different experience than I did yeah. now. Yeah, definitely. This character represents sort of what I saw as like the, he represents the everyman and like this sort of James Bond role, James Bond role in a way that, that James Bond himself doesn't, you know, James Bond is like the epitome. Like he's like the, he's like the tip of the, the pinnacle of what you can be as far as a spy is considered. And then Jack Ryan is sort of like thrown into it. He's like this every man who, who like, you know, he's an analyst. He can in the show. He always says that he's like, I'm an analyst. I'm not even supposed to be here. And then <laughs> that's one of the key like differences. Feats. I think you're touching on though. Like, um, J- James Bond is a very British character and, he is a hero and sort of idolized because he is so suave, so capable, so elite. And I think this this Jack Ryan speaks a little bit to the idea of like we we like elite people in America, but we don't want them to be snobby about it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? We want to have a beer with them still, and and you know, <laughs> and that's to me like the the epitome of Jack Ryan, and like just little details about him going to watch football and drinking wild turkey mm-hmm. and like different things like that. It just kept making me think like they're really trying to drive home the like, you know, even though this guy's a professor of history, he's still American. You know, right. Oh, Irish Catholic too. Very important religious. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he does everything by the skin of his teeth too. He like even if he doesn't know how to do it, he somehow is able to figure out a way um, by sheer force of will. I think is able to do a lot of the things in these in the in this these stories. Yeah, and so this book is simultaneously, I would say, a coming of age story for Jack Ryan. Um, we see he, he's he's fairly young here. He's fairly new in his career. And there's a lot of him like sort of rising to the occasion. Um, and mm-hmm. it's also a little bit of the hero's journey, which, you know, big surprise. So many stories are. Um, and that he sort of goes on this big adventure that takes him far from home and, and he meets all these different characters. And then at the end, we see him returning back. Um, you know, we're, we're going to get into the, the plot for this book. Um, we're going to divide it into three chunks and talk about it. Um, there's a lot that goes on. And even though I found a pretty extensive plot, uh, summary it omits a ton um there's no way we're going to touch on all of it much like the technical details of this book there's just way too much to fit to cram into one podcast episode i was actually taken aback by the the sheer amount of detail like i you know i think i really appreciate it and i wanted to talk you know i guess this is breaking into like our experience with reading it this time but yeah. um you know we've talked in the past about fantasy novels and how details are something that really draw us into those stories mm-hmm. and so i i'm like you know, I've self-professed that I love detail in in books, and it doesn't it doesn't usually bog me down. But in this story, there's so much technical jargon and and detail that I did feel myself sort of like the the scenes that were action packed. I felt really you know compelled by, 
but then there were scenes where we we were getting like tons of uh, you know, talking about certain planes that are going to fly over and do this mm-hmm. th- sort of thing and this maneuver from the, you know, from World War II. And then it's a very heavy, if you're int- interested in like military strategy or technical aspects of like, you know, military fleet equipment and all this kind of stuff, I think you're going to respond really well to that. But I found myself at some point being like, wow, this is a lot. Um, and it, you know, at some point it felt like it almost bloated the novel a little bit. Yeah. So funny uh, story I saw in my research is that when he initially sent this to his publisher, which was like a Naval Institute who had never published a book before, um, uh-huh. they, they decided they were going to publish this as their first novel. But they sent him back a, a, a revision request that he cut 100 pages of technical details, which he did. Wow. So this is he minus did? 100 pages of technical Jesus details. Jesus <laughs> Christ. That can't be possible. That's insane. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, and this book is—I I agree. It's um, it's overstuffed. Um, it is—it's a massive novel um, comparatively. I, you know, I remember I, I thought that it was shorter because I thought the the story was more simple than it was. Um, but not as not only is the story complex, but it's just loaded full of these details, and I can see the appeal. Um, the techno thriller genre was essentially created by Tom Clancy. Um, was was what I was reading. He's sort of credited as making, or at least popularizing it. Um, and that is what the meat of the genre is to me. It's exactly what you're talking about. Like the details that, that appeal to fantasy fans that look more in fantasy. Or the better comparison is probably hard science fiction. Um, mm-hmm. if, you, if you love hard science fiction for the science and for the technical descriptions and then the science leading to a plot that is interesting, that's what these techno thrillers are all about, right? It's we're going to give you all this tech and then we're going to tell you how this tech is informing the scene and informing the story because the way that the submarine works, the way that these control systems works, the way that the messaging works, the way that the planes fly, all of this is very important for how the scenes play out. Um, so in that sense, like if you, if you love those details and you're kind of a nerd for them, like you're going to love reading it. Yeah. I don't, don't get me wrong. Like the, the stuff that went on with specifically like the red October and like some of the, some of the specific technical aspects that were going on, especially when you put it in the, the period of the cold war, I was interested in it, but I just felt like I didn't need to know how the, you know, wings folded on a plane and <laughs> da, 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 da. like, you know what I you mean? You don't need speci- to know, but they're going to tell you anyway, because <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> Anything that pertaining to the actual plot that will play a part within that plot, the details are, are appreciated in my case. Mm. But there were a few times where I was like, do I need to know this? <laughs> or is this just kind of like Tom Clancy showing off how much he knows about the military? So like, he did a ton of research, which we'll get into with the book itself. But yeah, just my experience reading the, all the, all this tech, um, I, I was similar. Like I, I kind of was bouncing off of it at times or kind of finding myself disconnecting with it. Because it's just a ton. Um, it does feel a little bit like someone who's flexing to show off all the research they did. Um, but like I like again, I come back to like I, I can see the appeal and I can see that this is mm-hmm. a reason that people go for it. It's like all of those details wrapped up in an, an exciting story with a lot of action, a lot of quippy dialogue, you know, a lot of hyper masculine characters <laughs> going around everywhere, um, high fiving, you know, over over right. you know, taking out the enemy and you know, old sea captains and like, I mean, it's, it's a very manly story and, and I can yeah. see the appeal for, for many, many people. Yeah. I mean, it's also like if you are someone who's drawn to just the military in general, like if you're someone who served in the military or anything like that and you, you know, this is stuff that you've been around, I could see that being a draw for you as well, because yeah. it is, 
that, you know, especially like if you weren't, if, if, if it's not of the era that you were a soldier, you know what I mean? I feel like mm-hmm. I love history and I love learning about a lot of the stuff that goes on, even down to the types of tanks that were used in certain wars and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't love it like Tom Clancy does. Like yeah. it's, uh, so, he's on another level. So, so one thing about it too, is that it was written in the eighties, right? 82, I yeah. think is when he started writing it, it came out in 84. So this is also like a time capsule of tech. So it doesn't have the appeal of like, if you were reading this in the era it came out, you'd probably feel like you were learning a lot about like current tech, which is cool. But instead, now I'm like, I'm learning about tech that is very outdated in many ways. It's like how things used to be done. Um, And so that is like cool, but it's cool in a different way. Like I almost feel like a historian. (laughs) Um, You know, I can see like if I was reading one written today that had like all the modern, you know, high end, even some speculative stuff, because there is some speculative science in here that I don't know how it holds up over time. Like apparently the propulsion drive in the Red October like that was a fictional drive that was invented for the book. Um, And I don't know if it has since been (laughs) invented or or if if, if it holds up like I don't know. Um, but you know, interesting stuff. Another, I, I want to give Tom Clancy props for this story specifically with, with respect to setting, because, um, being trapped anywhere, I think is, is like, you know, it makes, can make for a really tense story. And then you add in nuclear radiation potential, you add in, you, you know, threats that you can't see you're down in like the abyss with like yeah. all you, all you're able to use is the sonar. And like that, in terms of building tension and having a setting, like that would horrify me. Like I will never, you're never going to catch me on a nuclear submarine because you're mixing high depth pressure with, uh, with like radiation, possible radiation yeah. and like meltdowns and things like that. That like reminds me of Chernobyl that we talked about on, mm-hmm. you know, episodes here and there. It was like Chernobyl in a small sub with people tracking you down. So props to the, like the setting and, and the, the tension that's built because of it, I think is really solid yeah and yeah i would give him uh high points for character work too a lot of these side characters are introduced maybe he belabors the point a little bit um sometimes i was amazed at how many details we were getting about some of these side characters who didn't seem super important um but he does a good job of like fairly efficiently characterizing them making them stand out and unique um, especially when it's a bunch of white dudes for the most part um, and making them feel like interesting sort of different characters from one another with backstories and, and different sort of uh, biases. And, and you know, I, I do come back to the one thing is that, like, America is unambiguously the good guys in this book. <laughs> and yeah. the Soviets are unambiguously the bad guys, except for, like, Ramius and, and the those that are, are obviously tr- you know, changing sides here. Um, so it, it, it is a very America fuck yeah kind of book. Um, it is American exceptionalism. Um, it, it's, it's a lot of this, the early concepts that like I grew up with, you know what I mean? So this is very familiar to yeah. me. Cause like when I was growing right. up in the eighties, like this is the attitude of, of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I don't know, I, I had like an interesting sort of engagement with that part of it. How did that strike you? How did the America first mentality strike you? <laughs> I feel like I'm able to look at a story like this and like sort of separate my current bias from the story in in some in certain senses. Like there are things that I see and I'm like, ooh, that's not great. That doesn't hold up anymore. But at the same time, I think I can almost sort of understand why it was appreciated at the time, um, knowing sort of like you said, like how we grew up and what the culture was like then and what how how things have changed. The, one of the things that was really um, that just screamed America fuck yeah to me was when 
these Russians are eventually um, being Americanized so quickly and, ha- and being mm-hmm. told how much how everything in America runs everything better than, so much than better Soviet here. socialists yeah. like like uh, Russia. Yeah. And communists. Uh, communists. And, and it's it was it was funny to see like they were like, uh, you know, things are things are going to be so much different for you here. Everything's perfect. And yeah. uh, that's not necessarily the case. Let me tell you about a grocery store. What is yeah. a grocery store? Yeah, there was a, there was some funny bits where it was like um, they had no idea what America was like, according to this book, at least. And I suppose that's true. You know, this is pre-internet, so like the world felt much bigger back then in ways because it we were so much less connected. Whereas now it seems silly the idea that like someone wouldn't know what a grocery store looks like. Like, of course you know what that looks like, unless you're you know. I guess the cor- the the corollary would be like North Korea, maybe. Um, because the Soviet Union obviously was incredibly corrupt, incredibly um, authoritarian in its ways, authoritarian yet communist. And um, because of that, it was so locked down and um, information didn't get in that would go against what the, the state said was the reality. Well, we're, we're well into it here. So I, I do want to stop a little bit, pause for a moment and talk about Tom Clancy himself, the man, before we get into the book itself. Um, Thomas Leo Clancy Jr. was an American novelist best known for his technically detailed espionage and military science storylines set during and after the Cold War. 17 of his novels were bestsellers, and more than 100 million copies of his books were sold. His name was also used on movie scripts written by ghostwriters, nonfiction books on military subjects occasionally with co-authors, and video games. Clancy's literary career began in 1984 when he sold his first military thriller novel, The Hunt for Red October, for $5,000 to the small academic press Naval Institute Press of Annapolis, Maryland. The Hunt for Red October launched Clancy's successful career as a novelist, especially after then-U.S. President Ronald Reagan remarked that he had enjoyed reading the book. His works, The Hunt for Red October, Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, and The Sum of All Fears have been turned into commercially successful films. Tom Clancy's works also inspired video games such as Ghost Recon, Rainbow Six, The Division, and Splinter Cell series. Since Clancy's death in 2013, the Jack Ryan series has been continued by his family estate through a series of authors. So yeah, I mean, he's he's a big, he's big time, big name, big seller. Um, I thought mm-hmm. the stuff about the the selling it to this small naval press was pretty interesting. It was their first book that they were going to publish, and uh, they the the editor at the time said, "I think this is going to be this is going to sell a lot of copies," and and really believed in it. It's pretty wild also to think about the actors who've played. I know we're not talking about films yet, but the actors who've played Jack Ryan include Alec Baldwin, Harrison Ford, Chris Pine, Ben Affleck, and now John Krasinski. Yeah. Um, I mean, those are all pretty, pretty massive names when it like and and like they all represent kind of their own section of or like generation of Jack Ryan in the Although, action role. I, you know, I, I would say that like Bond it was always Bond and it was like a, it was a big event when a Bond movie came out. Jack Ryan doesn't have that name power to me. And I remember seeing a lot of these movies and not realizing it was the same character at all. I mean, I, yeah, it just it's not the same thing in terms of like uh, reception, I would say. It's just mm-hmm. like they, you know, we'll talk about the movie when we get there. But I think I think this one was probably one of the most successful and maybe some of the ones with Harrison Ford. The other thing is this is a debut novel. Yeah, which is debut. Pretty That's noteworthy. why I think it's really interesting, right? Like this is this is not someone who has 
sort of carved out a career for himself and is and is like knows what works and what doesn't this is a new author trying something um yeah. so it, it's interesting I, like if i had to choose one clancy novel to read it would have been this one so i'm glad this is the one i read yeah i mean it seems it, it, like it seems like a well-researched novel like we've said and i wonder if like i will be interested to hear more of what you have to say about tom clancy because i really want to know he like other than you know research did he have experience with these different military is did he serve in the military is what i want to know well let me tell you so from a young age clancy was an avid reader of naval history and sea exploration however he was later rejected from serving in the military because of his poor eyesight since graduating from high school and eventually earning an english major he always wanted to write a novel he eventually worked as an insurance agent for a small business owned by his then-wife's family. In his spare time, Clancy started working on The Hunt for Red October on November 11th of 1982 and finished it four months later in 1983. Contrary to popular belief that Clancy had access to top-secret intelligence in researching for the novel, he consulted technical manuals, discussions with former submariners, and books like Norman Palmer's guide to the Soviet Navy and combat fleets of the world in order to maintain accuracy in describing Soviet submarines. Um, Tom Clancy then sold the Hunt for October to the Naval Institute Press for a modest sum of $5,000, uh, which, yeah, I mean, that's about standard even today, <laughs> unfortunately, for a debut. Um, that's like the minimum kind of thing. Um, it, 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 honestly, it seems a little low, but we're talking the 80s, so with inflation, it's actually a little higher than probably what it would be today. Um, right. But, you know, it obviously went on to sell like crazy, um, sold out, sold out, sold out. And then I think the, the rights were sold to a larger publisher who could, who could like keep up with the demand. And then it went on right. to sell way, way more. I have to assume that the, that he was just, although he didn't serve in the military, the way that he like lovingly wrote about the military and all this stuff, he was probably embraced and, you know, was in was in rooms with people who did have information and maybe yeah. not top secret information, but eventually like he probably built on his knowledge and it's clear in four months he wrote a novel that has this much detail like he's got a great uh you know steel trap for a brain that he yeah. can hold on to these details and pull them and 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 you know obviously like place them absolutely in. and know how to use them like that's it's right. one thing to just know the details it's another thing to like imagine all these scenarios and inter intersecting tactical decisions that would have to be made based on yeah. off of tech that you're learning about by reading about it like it's impressive stuff you know don't get me Definitely. wrong like I, yeah. I, the the level of technical prowess um shown off here is is quite staggering for sure and uh, you know it'll be interesting if we ever do cover any more if there's like a later any of his later stuff to see if it was something that he built on or if sort of just the same style continued you know I wonder how you could what a, if this is like maybe and, and you know I don't know how his books are received I just wonder if this is his first attempt what would sort of his like pinnacle be in, in like Jack Ryan fans eyes yeah I mean I'd be interested to hear that people who who are fans of these the series um, who, who went on to read read it you know throughout the years um yeah how did his writing change over time i'd be curious to hear that too um i did find a little bit about um his legacy which i'll read since we're kind of talking about that so the hunt for red october popularized the book genre of the techno thriller which i mentioned earlier this is john land an author and marketing chair of the international thriller writers he said quote tom clancy defined an era not just of thrillers but of pop culture in general no one encapsulated the mindset and mentality of the reagan era more as the Cold War was heating up for the last time and we were entering a new age of modern warfare. 
Clancy's books tapped into our fears and helped us define our psyches, even as he reinvigorated the thriller genre by bringing millions of new readers into the fold. So yeah, he, he goes on to know that the book was instrumental in restoring uh, confidence in the American military and government, which had endured a bitter defeat in Vietnam and uh, foreign policy uh, failures of the 1970s. The book also le led a shift in book sales, uh, qualifying the bestseller list from mass market paperback back to hardcover, a trend that other, quote, brand name authors such as Stephen King, Clive Cussler, Michael Crichton, and Daniel Steele would later follow. So, yeah, cool. I mean, he's, he's so big that he is, like, changing the way books are sold. You know, it's, it's yeah. that kind of force in the publishing industry. I mean, and, and like, regardless of how I how this book strikes me, I, I like anything that can, like, capture a massive audience like that and bring people who do, don't normally read maybe into the fold that yeah. sort of read things and then and then go on to read other things, you know, like this, like as a jumping off point. Um, I mean, it, 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 the number of readers he has to have is just, you know what I mean? Like it's, he's, right. I mean, I, I've said multiple times he's considered this like conservative writer and all this stuff, but like when you have a readership that massive, I guarantee you there's people from every walk of life reading these yeah. books, you know, totally and enjoying them. You know, right. Like, and, and at the time, it was it was what was popular and it was it was selling well yeah. because that's what people were interested in. Reading. Well, and Tom Clancy books still sell really well, even though he's not writing yeah. them anymore. <laughs> Wild. Um, yeah. The, I mean, you'll you still see them on bestseller lists and stuff, you know, just because the name the, the brand is so powerful. Um, yeah. Later, later on, Jack Ryan becomes president. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yep. I, I, had, I did not. I didn't remember that. But then I saw it in the like details about the character. That was interesting. Um, yep. But yeah, there's a lot we could get into, like what goes on with Jack Ryan in later books. Obviously, this is like something called like the Ryan verse or something. He's got you know all these books that have Jack <laughs> Ryan in them. Um, but we're gonna focus on the Hunt for Red October, um, which you know debut novel introduction of Jack Ryan. We've already touched on a lot of it. Should I read the first chunk of plot? Yeah, let's hear it. During the Cold War, Marco Ramius, a Soviet Navy submarine commander, plans to defect to the United States with his hand-picked officers on board the ballistics missile submarine, the Red October. It is equipped with a cutting-edge silent propulsion system known as the Caterpillar Drive that enables the submarine to sneak its way into American territorial waters. As the ship leaves the shipyard in Polyarni, Ramius kills Ivan P Putin, his political officer, to ensure that he will not interfere with the defection. Initially, Ramius was instructed to conduct military exercises with Soviet Alpha-class attack submarine the VK Konovalov, commanded by his former student Viktor Tupolev, for the purpose of testing the effectiveness of the Caterpillar drive. Instead, he plots on a new course for the North American coast, falsely informing the crew that they will be proceeding all the way to Cuba undetected. Before sailing, Ramius had sent a letter to Admiral Yuri Paterin, the uncle of his deceased wife Natalia, brazenly stating his intention to defect. The Soviet Northern Fleet, therefore, sails out to sink Red October under the pretext of a search and rescue mission. By sheer happenstance, Red October passes near the USS Dallas, a submarine under the command of Bart Mancuso, which is patrolling the entrance of a route used by Soviet submarines. Dallas's sonar operator hears the sound of the stealth drive, but does not immediately identify it as a submarine. As tensions rise between the U.S. and Soviet fleets, the crew of the Dallas analyzes tapes of Red October's acoustic signature and realizes that it is the sound of a new propulsion system. 
Meanwhile, CIA analyst and former Marine Jack Ryan, who was initially tasked to examine M16's photographs of the Red October, finds out that the submarine's new construction variations house its stealth drive. Later, putting information about Ramius's letter together with subsequent launch of the entire Northern Fleet, Ryan deduces Ramius's plans to defect. The U.S. military reluctantly agrees to assist while planning for contingencies in case the Soviet fleet has intentions other than those inferred. Lots of stuff to talk about here. So, Ooh, uh, yeah, details. To, to start <laughs> with, the uh, I never thought I'd know so much about uh, sonar, sonar operators, and yeah. that was one the of the sonar stuff was very cool. What an ear you must have to have, and like to be able to parse between like random ocean noises and weird experimental Russian like propulsion drives and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I found that stuff to be really interesting. And the, and, the guy and, who uh, was doing it was like listening to listening to classical music and he was like, had a, you know, this great ear for it and it was this natural talent. I think his um, name was Ronnie, right? Or, or Ronald something. Sounds right. Ronald Jones. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> I liked him. I liked him as a character. Uh, yeah. So we start off with Remius, uh, immediately like snacking like killing some guy yeah uh, that's Putin. like sort of the beginning <laughs> and i'm like oh shit so it's these guys aren't going to be sort of that redeemable they'll be you know defecting and, and and in the eyes of like sort of governments they might be redeemable but he's fucking snapping necks or choking people out or whatever yeah he, he like does like a fake takedown thing where he hits the guy's head on the on the uh table like perfectly cracking his neck or something in a way that'll appear like an accident and i i wrote down in my notes i was like if your whole plan hinges on you expertly and quickly executing another human being with your bare hands, that's you've introduced a pretty high level of failure right at the start. Um, like, sure, yeah, maybe it'll go down great, but like, just guaranteeing that you're going to be able to do that, like, that's the first step. I'll definitely do it, and it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can take out a man with my bare hands. The plan in general, like, to have the crew go along with it and to have only the officers aware of what's going on is pretty sketchy as well because it's like i always i felt like it was going to be a tough plan to pull off because you have all these men who don't want to defect that you're going to eventually have to deal with in one way or another yeah um, i mean he had he had it all plotted out it's, it's in the ways that like only i feel like fiction can you can you pull off these sort of elaborate plans um because too often there's too many just crazy variables that are going to throw too many wrenches in there um but yeah i mean it works it basically works out here of course there are there are complications that ensue yeah um, that we i mean realistically an experimental if if the americans had figured out and sending the letter was was a poor decision i know that that was like sort of his fuck you to the soviet union but like sending the letter literally was the only thing that had that created the tension of the other russian subs coming to chase them i think it also was it, my right reading of the character was it was his way of 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 making sure he wouldn't have second thoughts once he was the out yeah. on the sea. It was like there's no going back. I've already sent that letter now, and once that letter's sent, like I am on a course that there can be no changing in. Yeah, I guess it and it also brought the governments in pretty quickly once once the Americans had figured out that like there's people trying to defect. Um, but the other thing is like in his within his plan, like the Americans could have just blown him out of the water for being too close to the coast. Yeah, you know? that's the like, other thing. You're 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 in a nuclear submarine and you're not telling anyone what you're doing and you're trying to like stealthily sneak over to America. Like, <laughs> you know, like the 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 chances that it could be seen as as uh, you know a, a potential nuclear assault on the United States is pretty high. You know, you're, you're banking a lot on your your ability to go stealth. Um, 
there's just a lot of variables there but yeah that's what makes for an exciting thriller i guess yeah so i wanted to compare this a little bit to another book we've covered um i was having strong flashbacks too do you do you know what i'm going to say uh maybe jaws for the water elements but i don't i don't know no that's a good that's a good guess no red alert do you remember that we covered red alert for um for the dr strange love coverage and uh that book predates this by by quite a bit but in some ways, it reminded me of it because it was very, um, it, there was a lot of sort of military details about what it was like to fly on a plane at the time. Mm-hmm. But there was also some some big differences, right? Because that book was about the danger of this like missile launch system and the, um, the lack of accountability, not accountability, but the lack of oversight and like the way it can sort of disconnect from any... Like once this thing gets set into motion, it can't be stopped, um, right. and and that was kind of the thing that then gets satirized in in in, in the film version, um, but still is present, right? Um, mm-hmm. But this, you know, so so it kind of is very separate in that way because this was um, America can do no wrong in this book. America, right. well, is this the is guys. So instead of instead of like Kubrick taking it and like sort of satirizing it for being like a military industrial complex sort of thing. Uh, this is like leaning into it and being like, isn't this fucking awesome? Like, let's <laughs> yeah. look how cool it is to shoot torpedoes and stuff. Yeah. It feels like a recruitment tool a little bit too. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, if you want, if you want to have someone want to join the Navy. Right. You can't not think about that stuff. Even things like Call of Duty bring that to mind. It's like, sure. You know, people get really into that stuff. And then it's like, how, how, how far is the line to just step across and be like, you know what? Maybe I want to do this for a living. What, which, full disclosure, I have played a shitload of Call of Duty in my day. Right. Like, I, I play lots of war games. I still play war games. They're fun. Um, right. So, so you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I. Uh, I'm just saying that, you, that, know, that you have to have it in the back of your mind that, like, maybe, uh, you know, the U.S. The U.S. Army uh, backs some of these games and stuff, or, or not that they pay for them, but that they are uh, a you know decent recruitment tool. Oh, for sure. I think they do provide a lot of funding for some of these, but I don't know the exact details. So anyway, we also get the introduction of Jack Ryan, which I feel like we have done a pretty good job talking about him. Um, anything else you want to talk about with this introduction? Well, I just, you know, my my most recent experience with Jack Ryan was the show, and he this is like... In this story, he has kids, which he doesn't in the show. So, mm-hmm. uh, like starting off on that foot and having him have a family to go back to, and um, having that be in the back of his mind, and he's you know wanting to buy a, a to- eventually he's wanting to buy like a toy for his daughter and mm-hmm. make it back to bring her that. You know, I, I added something to his character that wasn't there, but uh, they also sort of like subtly add in the the Jack Ryan backstory, or Tom Clancy adds in the su- subtle backstory where they're like, you know, he's a former Marine who was in an accident. And they're like, there's all this other stuff to explore. So you can already start to start to feel Clancy building up this backstory for this character. Yeah. I mean, you get tons of backstory. You get tons of backstory on him and Ramius. We get like their life stories. <laughs> um, Ramius' whole life story, you know. Um, it, it, Ramius is in particular, uh, which I mean, here's here at the start. I don't want to touch on it. He is described as like, this is the, the thing that was very stereotypical to me. Um, like, I'm sure that like I, a corrupt authoritarian regime, you know, the, the Soviet Union, a lot of wrong with it for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But there was this idea in his like backstory that like 
He wanted to be good at things, and that's not allowed. He wanted to excel, and that was never that was never embraced. You know, like mm-hmm. all this stuff. Like I feel like a lot of people in the Soviet Union would disagree with this description of like their well, society. It felt very stereotypical, very American looking. Looking out from you know, like here we we cherish individual achievement, and there they do not. America at the time saw Soviet Union as all bad. Everything, all their philosophies, yeah. everything that was going on over there, completely bad. None of it can be good, and that sort of leads to. Not just that, but there's other things that build up to the sort of red scare and everything going on with like communism is going to take over and everything. And then so that leads us to today where, you know, there's socialistic programs in our own government and people don't understand that like socialism doesn't mean like all encompassing totalitarian, like authoritarian governments and things. Well, and and books like these honestly uh, are somewhat to blame. You know, I'm not going to lay this at Tom Clancy's feet, but like uh, uh, one of the most popular books of the era and this attitude is so ingrained into the novel that if you buy this stuff, you know, hook, line, and sinker, and don't really analyze it, you could come away just kind of going, yeah, anything even that has the whiff of communism or socialism is bad because it's like I've I've learned that, right, from this trusted source, Tom Clancy. Um, so I talked about this in my V for Vendetta coverage a little bit. Like extremism in a lot of ways can be problematic, and you lose the nuances and you lose like what some of the quality ideas are at the heart of different ideologies. Cause sure. Like I think capitalism does have a lot of good ideas. I just think it needs to be sort of reined in here or there because it can get out of control and much like the same with a lot of socialist programs. Like they're great, but I do believe that if you socialize everything to a point, like it's going to be bad or it's going to be, it's going to have its own set of problems that are going to rise up. Um, yeah. You know, I am not like a, an expert in this sort of stuff, so I'm not going to sit here and try and describe it in the many ways. You know, don't at me. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it just, uh, my personal belief is that like a lot of these ideas, especially, you know, economic ideas, like they have merits and they have things that they do well and they have other things that they don't do well. And so often you have to find some sort of mix and um, in a world where the enemy is is demonized and anything that goes against my like pet theory that I ascribe to is is the enemy and evil, um, it becomes impossible to talk about like what different sides have um, to offer to the conversation. I mean, yeah, I whether whether you embrace the ideals or not, it's worth sort of understanding them and knowing what they are rather than just sort of painting with a broad brush. I think that's what we're basically saying this like you said this really does feel like an american writing a russian character who wants to defect from russia for all the reasons (laughs) that americans think that russians are are, and their their ideologies are bad well and that's what i was getting at right like it's like romius was a secret american his whole life is essentially what was being sort of described like he always knew he wanted to be american he just didn't know what that was exactly (laughs) you know freedom Um, yeah exactly And, and like freedom is the thing that i think america gets right like that is, I, I genuinely do believe that like a free society, um, which is the ideal of America, is the way to go. It's just like we've seen that that idea can be taken to an extreme that is problematic, where people can say that telling me I need to wear a mask is against my freedoms, and like it can get it can get ridiculous, right? Because you can if you get so individualistic that you're unable to even think about positioning yourself within a society. 
and like doing something for your fellow man, if that's like an infringement on your freedom, then maybe we've taken that idea a little bit too far. Um, so yeah, it's like, again, it's, there's extreme problems, but there's a lot of great ideas there that I do genuinely believe in. And, and, um, I think that even some of the characters in this book would agree with me there. That, that was my, my read on it. You know, I think that the, you know, this is a much more even approach to this, uh, you know, open-minded at times. Um, it wasn't like it was beating me over the head with Trumpism or something, which is, you know, it's not, it's much more Reagan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which, you know, I'm no expert on, but I'm sure many, many people, uh, have their own, uh, takes on that. Anyway, we're getting into the weeds here a little bit. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the book more. (laughs) I mean, this, this book does bring up these ideas though. It's there's a lot of politics built into this stuff as well, because you were, you know, we're bringing in the president, we're bringing in. Uh, you know, world figures from yeah. the Kremlin and, and that sort of stuff. So, And we're reading this at a time and like, you know, Trump just lost the election. And, you know, it, it's like we're, we're at this really particular high political engagement part of history in America. And to read this book right now, it's impossible for me not to see it and, and to see it everywhere. And I remember like talking to people about how like, oh, yeah, he gets so overly politic, political in like book seven and eight. And I'm like, this book is really political. Um, yeah. But I think it's political because of the moment I'm in. And, and, yeah. and I just can't read it any other way. I definitely think that you if you wanted to focus more on the idea of these world figures being fictional and like, oh, this is a fictional, you know, it's all a fictional world that's sort of similar to ours, then then you can enjoy it. And the action, like we've said, like, I think I think a lot of it lends itself to the action. Like, that's the most exciting yeah. stuff is what goes on with the sub and some of that others, some of some of that. And, but like, I, I like the political intrigue of it as well. Um, yeah. Like you said, though, it, it can seem like it's like a commentary on a lot of stuff, though. Yeah. Well, and you have, uh, you know, the president character who I thought was it is it, this very like old what 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 I used to perceive as sort of the Republican ideal of a leader is sort of embodied in this president. Like he's a former uh, you know lawyer and he plays word games with people and he's like imposing and he knows what's going on. And yeah, he's like not of the military, but he he, you know, talks the talk and he knows what he's doing and he's so hyper competent and everybody around him is just sort of amazed at his prowess and how, how informed he is. And I'm just like, where this is just completely gone. <laughs> like, yep. this is not something that is valued anymore at all. But um, yep. anyway, once again, trapped in the moment. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> gotta, I got to get off my soapbox, man. I'm stuck <laughs> on it. Do you want to <laughs> read the next section? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I can't help myself. Uh, let's do it. Yeah, next section. After it is revealed that Ramius has informed Moscow of his plan for him and his officers to defect, Ryan becomes responsible for shepherding Ramius and his vessel away from the pursuing Soviet fleet and meets with an old Royal Navy acquaintance, Admiral John White, commanding a task force from the aircraft carrier, the HMS Invincible. In order to convince the Soviets that Red October has been destroyed, the U.S. Navy rescues her crew after Ramius fakes a reactor meltdown. Ramius and his officers stay behind, claiming that they are about to scuttle the submarine to prevent it from getting into the hands of the Americans. A decommissioned U.S. ballistic missile submarine, the USS Ethan Allen, is blown up underwater as a deception. A depth gauge taken from the main instrument panel of the Red October, with the appropriate serial number, is made to appear as if it had been salvaged from the Ethan Allen's wreckage. 
Meanwhile, Ryan, Captain Mancuso, some of his crew, and Owen Williams, a Russian-speaking British officer from the Invincible, board the Red October to meet Ramius face-to-face. Okay, I think this is a good place to stop. A lot happens here. This actually mm-hmm. covers probably the biggest chunk of the novel. You wouldn't know from yeah. that from that um, description. There's an, a complete thing that's omitted here that is one of the moments I remember most from the movie, although I think it happens differently, is um, the 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 surfacing of the submarine that like shoots up out of the water and then crashes back down, right? There, um, this, this, that does kind of happen in this. but It it's does, but not, I think it's yeah. like a different situation, right? Yeah, like, I think it, so. It has to be, because I, I remember there's like a crew watching it happen, and that's not that's not the case here. Um, yeah. This is like a, a overtaxed uh, meltdown situation happening in one of the, the Soviet subs that was chasing after the Red October. Is my memory of it at least, and and but yeah, there's this moment where it shoots up straight out of the water, um, really memorable. Uh, I mean, sequence of events. I'm, I'm I can see why they were like, we have to have this in the movie. Yeah, definitely. I felt like the, uh, there's a few moments where I was like, oh yeah, I could see somebody reading this and how cinematic it feels. It's like yeah. begging to be turned into a film. The one of the things I wanted to talk about with that is, you know, they're talking about the, what I forget what they're called right now, but the the. In Chernobyl, they're like the boron poles that they that they were putting into the to the yeah, reactor, the, uh, the the reactor rods, the-, the rods. That's what it is, the rods. So and like they're talking about the rods in this, and I couldn't help but when all the stuff is going on with like they fake like radiation leaks on the mm-hmm. ship, which is scary on its own because I'm already like putting myself in the shoes of a random soldier, not not a captain, not anybody who has any control, but one of the 100 soldiers that are just like on the ship doing something. How yeah. terrifying, you know, when you like give away power to somebody when you're on a plane or something like that. And so everybody else is, they're handling all of the, the dangerous stuff and you're just sitting there just to, to imagine that. And then also potentially being trapped down there with, you know, radiation leaks happening and, you know, people who are, who are want to destroy the ship that you're on and you're, the pressure is that you can't just like surface, uh, and, and like, if you do surface, maybe the Americans attack you, maybe the Russians that are chasing you attack you. I don't know. Like I said before, crazy, a lot of tension. And like, I just, I, I feel like those soldiers who went down in submarines, like those guys are. No, I, I completely agree. Uh, it, harrowing stuff, um, claustrophobic, uh, it, you know, the, the, the tactics that are on display are, you know, really interesting. I actually think it's like a really brilliant, you know, idea um, and I assume it's Tom Clancy's, although maybe he it came from something else. But the idea of like, we're going to scuttle this other ship and we're going to play it off like it's the Red October so that they don't think that the Red October is still out there. And mm-hmm. it's just a lot of cool sequence of events here that's just so like expertly crafted that, you know, my hat's off to Tom Clancy. It's really well done. Speaking of which, I did hear that this was like vaguely based off of a an actual sort of situation that happened did you hear about that any sense. of that <laughs> well I, he's a naval historian and um I, I, he's written non-fiction books and you would go on to write non-fiction books about mm-hmm. different battles that took place and all this stuff so yeah that I, doesn't surprise me i'll look into it a little bit more before we cover the the movie next week but basically from what i understand is it was a, a, a like a soviet ship that wanted to uh defect but I think oh, the okay. Russians caught. I think the Russians caught them before they could get to America or get to wherever they wanted. Well, to Well, the book itself like talks about that. Um, I, I think Maybe Jack that's Ryan. Jack Ryan brings it up at one point. Yeah, a couple different times that this has happened. When he's when he's it's when he's talking to like the president and you know the Joint Chiefs, I guess. <laughs> and mm-hmm. he's like, "Here's my theory," and like, "Here's a couple other times where it, where it occurred, um, and it, it wasn't successful." I assume that's all true. Um, I don't think you would make up details like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I assume that that is accurate. 
So then we get the moment where Jack, so Jack Ryan has been like flying out to an aircraft carriers. He's been on planes. He's been, you know, and now he's about to go onto the red October itself. Um, it is very convenient, right. To have this one guy go from like, you know, oh, yeah. being the guy who tells what's going on with the propulsion to, you know, talking to the president, to going to this aircraft carrier, to going onto the submarine itself to meet Ramius. Um, you know, especially oh, it, because this guy is an analyst who shouldn't have exactly. access to a lot of this stuff. And he's not even really CIA right now. I think he's like used to be have CIA like yeah. connections. And but that's like Jack Ryan in, in a nutshell. Like I, from everything yeah. I've seen of Jack Ryan, like that's his whole character is like, sh- should yeah. he be there? No. Is he there conveniently? Yeah. Yeah. But and it's going yeah, to figure and, it and, out. You know, I, and I want to touch on one other thing that we we've this is an idea that we've come back to a lot. And I know like, I think like 2018 or so it was a big thing on the internet with star Wars, but the idea of Mary Sue's right. Like, and and how like that was a criticism you could throw at, you know, different properties. Um, And then there's the Marty stew, which is like the male version of the Mary Sue. And we talked about it with like ready player one, like clearly Wade Watts (laughs) is, you know, sort of an author insert, but also like, you know, the fantasy of what, you know, Ernest Klein wants to be. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's true for Jack Ryan too. Like this, he feels like he is this idealized version of the American hero who is also very Tom Clancy from his background. Like he's, he's a historian, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like he's not actually in the, you know, he was a former Marine, but he's not like in the military, right? Like he's just being brought in to consult, um, in, in many ways, he feels kind of like an authorial insert. Um, and that might piss people off. But like what I'm trying to say is my argument continues to be that that is not always bad, um, right, that yeah. there is an appeal to those kinds of stories. There's a reason people like them. You know, you look at Kavoth from you know, Name of the Wind. You look at like, you know, Katniss Everdeen, like so many different characters that people identify as being sort of this kind of character. Like people like reading about that. It's fun, you know, like it's it, to me it seems sort of like uh um this old holdover of literary criticism like you know you can't have a, a character like that and 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 be like good literature and it's like no it can just be a fun character to read about and people can latch onto it and see themselves in them yeah i mean it, i we've, i don't know how many times we've said it on this podcast but i think there's a there's room for every kind of story and a character like that like i don't see you know i think it, it, it can maybe break a story if it's if the rest of the if their tone and the story doesn't fit having a character like that in it it could break some things but you know i I think a story that is wish fulfillment which i see this as um i think it's fine to have stuff like that i think it's you know james bond represents a lot of that like um there's tons of wish fulfillment characters harry potter like uh luke skywalker all these characters that are like your you know Luke Skywalker's a moisture farmer that, you know, goes on to save the rebellion. And like that, that's like it's it's putting like the putting you in the shoes of an everyman who then, you know, does everything. And then uh, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with those type of characters either. And, and that's not to say that if if you're the kind of person who hates those kind of characters and bounces off of stories that feature them like that's valid. You right. know what I mean? I just yeah. don't think you can make a blatant statement about something being bad because it features a character like that. So here he goes down onto the ship and he meets face to face with Ramius, which I thought was a really cool moment. Like I, I, I kept picturing Harrison for, um, I kept picturing Sean Connery um, in this role, um, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, I think they changed the character a little bit for the movie, but 
Um, it was just the, the idea of them meeting face to face after so many things had to line up for this moment to happen um, was pretty exciting. And then I, I like the way that Ramius continues to be such a sort of commanding, capable figure throughout the rest of this novel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that he stays true to the character he made there. Um, and, and Ramius conti- continues to be, you know, with the possible only exception of Jack Ryan, like the other most interesting, capable character that we're following. Yeah. Well, and, and I was happy to not see him sort of like roll over and let Jack Ryan save the day and everything's good because yeah. Jack Ryan's there. It's honestly, Jack Ryan needs more help when push comes to shove at the end and like the final conflict is going down. Like, yeah. um, he needs more help from Ramius than Ramius needs from him. And, uh, yeah. You know, it's cool to see them work together there at the end, like you said, though. It's just like, of course, it was building to that uh, with this sort of story. Um, I just love this idea that, like, story starts out, he's writing this, like, this, like, piece about some historical figure, some, some like, military guy, I think. And then, um, you know, then he's in a meeting and then he has this information and then he and then he's with the president and yep. then he's on a and then he's on a flight and then he's on a ship and then he's on with the a bunch Red of October. British guys who are saying bloody a lot. Oh, and I, lo- I, I the other thing is like he, you know, in his past has like all these connections to like to like MI6 because like he saved Britain at one point or something, so he's already had yeah. dealings with them. So they're like, "Oh, you're that Jack Ryan. You're a legend around here." And so they're yeah. like they they're like excited to to work with him and stuff and Well, and he's written uh, a book that like Ramius has read. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and then, yeah, there was a fun line in there where he takes a shot at critics or something because, like, Ramya says something about the book and he's like, Oh, you're already a critic. You're, you're going to do well in America, um, which is definitely an author thing to put in a book. <laughs> uh, okay, let me read the final section of plot here and then we can sort of sum up everything and talk about the last bit. So the deception succeeds in convincing Soviet observers that the Red October has been lost and that the Soviet forces withdraw. However, Igor Laganov a GRU intelligence officer masquerading as one of the Red October's cooks, was suspicious and stayed behind when the crew evacuated. On learning of Ramius's intentions, he attempts to manually launch one of the submarine's missiles in its silo in order to destroy the Red October. Loganov is discovered and he fatally shoots Captain uh, Kamarov, the ship's navigator, and seriously wounds Ramius and Williams. Ryan tries to reason with the GRU agent who refuses to listen and is killed in a firefight in the submarine's missile compartment. Later, Tupolev aboard the Konovlov, which stayed behind when the Soviet fleet withdrew, happens upon what they initially believe is an Ohio-class submarine, being escorted by two other submarines. Based on its acoustical signature, Tupolev realizes that the Ohio is in fact the Red October, which was reported sunk and proceeds to engage it. The two U.S. submarines escorting the Red October are prevented from firing by rules of engagement. After a tense battle in which the Red October is damaged by a torpedo, Ramius manages to ran Tupolev and sink him. The Americans escort Red October safely into dry dock in Norfolk, Virginia, where it is analyzed by U.S. military intelligence. Ramius and his crew are taken to CIA safe houses, where they are given new identities, thus beginning their settlement into American life. Ryan is commended and debriefed by his superiors. He later flies back to his posting in London. A lot goes down here. We have the big showdown gunfight in the reactor missile silo part of the the nuclear sub. And this is one where I, I agree with you. I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is going to be a memorable scene in a movie. And sure enough, this is one of the scenes that I do remember from the film. Right. 
this also was me realizing that Clancy was like, all right, we need one more thing. He's like, what if there was always a like a Russian plant on the ship who was like informing the Russians because they were kind of, you know, they need somebody everywhere. Um, yeah. And so they're like the cook. And he was like, there's the cook. And then he uh, he like stays behind when everybody leaves and realizes that the officers aren't actually going to scuttle it. Um, yeah interesting little twist and yeah the the i feel like every jack ryan story he's eventually like he doesn't want to be the killer but every every story like he's forced into a situation where it's like i gotta put this guy down and like <laughs> it just feels like a very quintessential jack ryan sort of scene okay interesting this is it seems like it's very informed by your watching of the show i haven't seen any of it so i i don't have that the, well the show and and so, like um clear and present danger and like those are some of the mm. other ones I don't remember those movies at, at all. <laughs> I think yeah. I've seen Claire in Present Danger, but I barely remember it. Um, yeah. Probably some of all fears, even less. I know there's like a bomb in it. Oh, I don't even know if I've seen that one. Who knows? Maybe one day we'll cover another Clancy novel. It's possible. Yeah. The defection element is, is interesting, right? Because when I was trying to remember this movie, I thought it was just about like a nuclear sub that went rogue, kind of like Dr. Strangelove. Like it was like, it went rogue and it was going to like bomb us or something. And then they have to like engage with it. And, and but I couldn't remember all the, the sort of turnings of this, of this plot. Cause it's kind of convoluted, but um, it does make it very unique, right? Like it's not, I, I can't think of a bunch of other stories about someone defecting, right? Like it's, it's a, it's an interesting take on this sort of genre. Yeah. It's also interesting because like the, in the, in the setting up of the story, you know, in cold war era or the end of the cold war, um, when he's writing this story, uh, he has to get audiences on board with like these, def- like, he, he, I feel like there's no question asked to whether they're like a double agent. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. want to defect, but what if they actually wanted to defect and it was all this big trap or something like that? Um, and, and I feel like the question's never, I, I think it's, you know, brought up, but I think it's quickly done away with um, because of the intelligence they've gotten because of the letter where he said he was defecting. But uh, with all of the Soviet like scares going on with the Cold War to, to just like sort of embrace these Russians and be like, yeah, you guys are Americans now. Um, yeah, that's a good point. You know, you have these Russian characters who not all the Russian characters are like completely reprehensible too. like he does sort of identify a lot with them. You know, maybe it's like of the shared love of the sea or like things like that, yeah. you know, that, that, that maybe it is. But he does find common humanity. Uh, I might say he I mean, Tom Clancy. Like I say, there are moments where when they when they do eventually get together there's they quickly bond like like you're saying like there's moments of them like trying to americanize these russians very quickly and the russians say like tell them about things that they have and that sort of thing um so there are moments of character that that sort of lead to them embracing them like that but uh yeah like you said it's kind of interesting for a story like this to to have uh it not just be one side versus the other but sort of a gray area with these with these guys in the red october couple of things happen here with sinking of subs and 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 uh, several of them are some of the parts you were talking about that i think they were most affecting to me um mm-hmm. was the idea of these men like going down um after after the one nuclear meltdown and and the ship like popping up up out of the water um the sub then sinks and it's mm-hmm. said that like half the crew dies as like you know water rushes into it but then the other half are sort of locked in like a part of the sub but they like slowly asphyxiate over time, like yeah. way down under the water and just how like terrifying that idea Scary. is. And, and it's like they, when they finally do find the wreckage, it was like one day too late where like any of them would have been still alive. Right. Um, how about this yeah. though? You're under the water 
and you decide to ram another submarine with your yeah. vessel that is that keeping you alive. Like yeah. that's the kind of shit that like if that happens, like you might drown in a horrible death like you're talking about. And yeah, just... I wonder I wonder how how uh, much that would hold up. I'd be curious to know. Yeah. Um, it's like, is that actually a decent idea or is that like, yeah, never do that. Even staying under with torpedoes having hit you like a torpedoes hit your ship and they're staying down there like go deeper. No, we need to get deeper yeah. so that we can. Well, get away from you them. know, I do understand something that's like desperation like you have to because otherwise right. you're just going to die. So right. like you might as well try something crazy. Like I'm sure that, you know, that would happen in that scenario. Um, as laid out here. I actually really like the part with the like safety mechanism on the torpedo and how like the Red October got so close because Ramius knew about this mechanism. Right. So when he fired the torpedo, it just like harmlessly bounced off because of the safety mechanism. I, like that's really cool. And that's what I was yeah. talking about with like the tech informing the story. Right. Right. Like it's not it's not just there to be sort of set dressing. It is integral to what's going on in the scene. Yeah, I really enjoyed with that with the end there. There's like the Americans aren't able to engage because of like the rules of engagement, but they are able to shoot like sonar, which is able to like deflect their sonar, which sort of like creates like blips that that have them all confused to try to figure out where the Red October is and where the other ships are. So I thought like the sonar coming back in that way, just uh, overall, I was really I was most interested in probably that just like the, mm-hmm. the, the ways that they were able to, you know, listen to the. And then and then early satellites are being used too. They're like up- uploading stuff to satellites to be listened to at the Pentagon and that kind of thing. So to Americanize you, James, I'm going to show you three movie tapes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one of I think it was Star Wars and E.T. were in there. I forget what the third one was. Um, and, you know, just, yeah, the idea is like, uh gonna gonna show off america but like at the same time like they kept shitting on california i don't know if you noticed that yeah. like oh they're all crazy out there in california but now let me show you american films okay yeah um <laughs> i mean it, it is funny because it's like this uh we talked earlier about how like this you know we this is a theory that you threw out there this idea of the conservative values and and maybe some of the the pushback against like socialism that kind of thing in this book leads to some of the stuff today and it's interesting to think like how media does shape our cultural sure. landscapes in such a major way so like i mean it's not the farthest stretch to say like hey i'm gonna americanize you by start showing you american films because i do think like you're, you're i i at least for myself i've been able to like understand and appreciate different cultures through their movies for sure you know in ways that I wouldn't have been able Absolutely, to. Absolutely, yeah. No, I was just joking about the movie tapes. Yeah. Uh, it was literally what it's called, which I thought was a, a weird, you know, uh, sign of the times that yeah. really stood out as a very 80s thing to say. Right. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a valid way to do it, right? And um, it's also funny, the idea of like, again, like the world being so disconnected that like you had never seen an American film, you know, which right. maybe that's Well, accurate. I will, and I will, on the other foot, I will also say if you only saw like Hollywood films from America, you would get this like crazy version of America that doesn't necessarily represent it. I yeah, meant more true. like, uh, you know, cultural indie films and things like that, that, that really speak to like the, what it's like to live in certain countries and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There was one line that every now and then, like it's it's so it's like it's a lot of like there's a lot of shots taken at like the Russian people and Soviets and mm-hmm. the, how their food is bad and like and all the Soviets seem to like embrace it and just be like yeah it's all bad over there and and um it's like some of it seems fair some of it seems you know very unfair <laughs> um, there was one particular line where 
a character like offhandedly comments about like how ugly like Russian women are. I and I was like, that. yeah, no, he's like, yeah, it's like they find porn or something like on the sub when he's like going onto the red October and he's like an American and he comments something about that. And it's just like, yeah, okay. Because Russian women are known for being ugly. Like, I don't think that's <laughs> accurate. And it's very weird. Like anyway, like, so that's like I was saying, like it, it, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of stuff in here that seems fair. And there's a lot of stuff that's like, uh, propaganda e you know like right, american right. propaganda like it's mm-hmm. just like nothing of value can be seen in this culture and these people yeah. um and, and that was more of that for me one of the one of the other moments of clancy uh taking a taking a uh, shot at russians was uh the ambassador in america was like uh it was said that like he preferred like bourbon to to his his native vodka but he would never yeah. let other russians know that, that kind of thing. it's like so stereo i mean like stereotypical for him to be like have to drink vodka and all that stuff and where it's it makes him not russian you know one cool bit that actually um stood out to me just as a modern reader was them talking about apple computers yeah at one point and they're talking about like oh yeah you might be able to get your very own apple computer yeah it's this you know company that that you know have made these personal computers that can people can get and um, obviously I'm not necessarily like the biggest fan of these massive corporations. Like that has plenty of problems, but just the idea of this little company in this era and then like the time capsule of like looking back and like seeing how it was being regarded versus like what we know today. And like, what, you know, like I just wanted to like, you know, talk to the person through the pages of like, you have no idea what's going to happen with this company. Right. It's a, uh... Tom Clancy taking a moment to be like, buy stock, buy stock in Apple. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, I mean, hell, if you could buy a bunch of Apple stock in 1983 or whatever when he was writing this, yeah, you'd be doing pretty well, I would think. Yeah, uh, you'd be doing so well that you would just quit the stock market because you got bored. Yeah, much like Jack Ryan. <laughs> All yeah. right, um, here we are at the end. Um, you know, America, America succeeds. Uh, Ramius comes over. And all is well in the world. Jack Ryan lives on, you know, is able to sleep on a plane for the first time. Um, and uh, yeah, happy ending. Return home, right, for our hero, our hero character who has who has gone out and changed, been changed by the by his actions in the story, and is now returning home. Classic story construction, and it it works well here. Yeah, and one more thing I wanted to say was uh, Jack Ryan was operating the Red October for a while. Yeah, that, which like goes back <laughs> to show like the the whole Mary Sue. Marty, yeah, yeah, like we're gonna let you, I'm gonna let you drive this submarine now for a bit. in the battle, like in the yeah. battle, <laughs> like not just like oh cruising along, I'm you know sit on sit on Papa's lap and try to drive the boat kind of thing. Like like in the battle, they're like turn twelve degrees north and like holy <laughs> shit, like this analyst is out here doing this. So <laughs> get yeah. on him. He, he gets into everything. He's in the gunfight. You know, like he's the guy who kills the guy. Like he does yeah. everything for yep. sure. Um, it's fun though, you know. It's like that's that's the point of these thriller books, right? It's like ultimately you enjoy yourself, you have a good time with the action, and um, you know what I mean. Like I, I I hope that our comments haven't hasn't made anybody feel like we're attacking them for liking this book or something. You know, no. It's, I mean, ultimately, like like I've said, I, I can I can even if there's things in it that I don't necessarily agree with, I could still enjoy a story like this. And I did, I think I did enjoy it. My, my honestly, with all the things that we've said, my, my only thing that was kind of holding me up from really, really loving it was just like, it was really dense with the details. And like I said, yeah. I could do it. I did appreciate, I would say like 75% of them, but some of the time 
it was. I wonder me if down. he if he got more to sort of more like parsimonious with with those details later on in his books, or you know what I mean. Like it does feel like jam packed in a way that that maybe isn't ideal. I would think that like maybe a book that is more heavily edited later on would be more choosy about what what is going to include yeah. and what it isn't yeah um, i mean what if he went the other way with it he's like fuck it i'm tom clancy and he just put all of his yeah. facts he could in there maybe and, and like i said a lot of it is like that's what people are there for you know they want to learn about tech and stuff and and yeah. like sort of geek out about how cool a lot of this stuff is um and how advanced it is and and feel like they know how submarines work which is fun so um i have to mention i am writing a book that is an underwater sci-fi novel so you know there there was a strong element of like learning stuff um here that was useful to me um my book is very different than this um and it's not going to be hard sci-fi in this way where it's not going mm-hmm. to be like leaning on tech for you're not ghostwriting for, for tom clancy yeah, well, it's also very my my book's very speculative, deals with a lot right. of speculative tech. Um, but anyway, it was very interesting in that regard. So maybe this episode can form a, a time capsule a little bit for me, or you know, hopefully one day I can look back at this and be like, yeah, it was interesting when we covered Red October, and then I later, uh, you know, put out this underwater sci-fi novel. So yeah, definitely yeah, here we are. Um, well, overall, for me though, I this book isn't really for me. Um, yeah. This is one that I, I felt kind of eh about. Mm-hmm. even even though there are parts i enjoyed um it the elements of the genre that appeal to so many people didn't appeal to me in that way it, you know it, like i had a i had an interest for it sure um and i enjoyed the action but there was sort of a um entrenched political message that i couldn't get past and then the overwhelming technical details became very dry for a lot of it every now and then it would really work like i said the torpedo that had the safety mechanism that clanged off of the front like the ramming of it like the 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 reason that the ship went 45 degrees straight up or whatever out of the water like all of these things being described so explicitly it was very cool but those are just very particular moments out of a book that had so many of these details that don't really go anywhere like that um, and that was one of my major criticisms of it. So, yeah, for me, it was just kind of OK. Um, and I'll be curious to see how the how the movie does, um, because I don't know. Like, I, I'm really curious to see. I, I don't remember enough about the book or about the movie. So I'm, I'm going to try and go in it with open mind and just see where it takes me. Yeah, I, I just remember, like you said, a couple of scenes and, and a great cast. Um, I, I, like you said, I, I think it falls somewhere in the okay range for me. I, I think I liked it a little more than you did. Um, and I think it might have something to do with me being like slightly more invested in Jack Ryan, just like knowing more of his stories and that kind of well, thing. Well, I haven't that, seen this season one I, of the show or whatever, right? Not, and, <laughs> and not that I like always, it's honestly not even really the, the type of story that I find. I'm uh, clearly, I've never read Clancy before. Uh, it's not really the type of story that I seek out, um, and I guess I would agree with you in saying that it's not really for me, but I, I think I did like it a little more and I'll be interested to see if what if like if the mo- movie can sort of condense. I mean, because obviously we're not going to get all of these crazy details yeah. to bog no it down. Way. So it'll be it'll be nice to see a condensed sort of action heavy version of it and, and see how it holds up now. For sure. Um, oh, and we didn't say it at the top of the episode, which is probably negligent of us. But, you know, happy Thanksgiving out there. <laughs> this is coming yeah. out on Thanksgiving. Um, hopefully you are being safe. Um, and, you know, celebrating it in whatever way you feel like is appropriate for you. Um, and, you know, ho- hopefully you're helping to prevent the further spread of the coronavirus. Um, 
that is that is just running rampant right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we do wish you all well. Um, this is a remarkably strange time to be podcasting and to be just living <laughs> right. in America yeah. and all over the world. Um, but we hope you are doing well through it, staying healthy, staying happy, and you're able to enjoy the holiday in a way that uh, feels appropriate. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody, and, and definitely stay safe out there. Uh, oh, and one more shout out to Stephen E. for commissioning this. Um, you know, we had a lot of fun talking about it. Um, and uh, I think next week with the film is going to be another really interesting one. So hopefully you are enjoying this, Steve. Yeah. And if you wanted to help our that, that's a something we've been doing on Patreon for a while. So if you wanted to help us out in a similar way, we have Patreon. We have many tiers um, just for two dollars a month. You can get our bonus episodes, which we put out monthly. I think we have like 30 or something now. Yeah. So. We're going to be recording another one very soon. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be about yet. We have to decide. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we will be coming out with another one very soon. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those at Ink to Film and join the Council of Inklings on Facebook. We post polls and um, any sort of news we see about adaptations coming up. It's a great way to stay connected. Yeah, and if you like this episode, please let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever podcast app you use. Like the video on YouTube. Make sure to subscribe. Uh, I saw recently that we're now on Audible because Audible has expanded to including podcasts. And I, when I looked on there, apparently you can leave an Amazon review for a podcast now. So if you see that option and you're feeling generous, throw us an Amazon review. That'd be cool. Yeah, and thank you to Ross Bugden for use of our intro and outro music. All right, that's it this week. Uh, we will see you next week for the Hunt for Red October film featuring the late Sean Connery, which will be fun to... I'm, I'm sure we'll one of us will do an impression at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I have one of those, but I'll start practicing. <laughs> yeah, start practicing. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.